My name is Richard Midson, and I'm going on a deep dive into the paid public speaking industry. A year ago, I took part as a speaker at a conference which opened up a whole new world to me. I made a bunch of new friends in an industry that was fascinating, full of enthusiastic, high energy individuals sharing cutting edge ideas on stages around the world. And this is a series of interviews that I conducted with the people I met as I asked them to reveal their secrets to me about this billion dollar industry. Welcome then to episode three of Public Speaker World, which is called The Speaker Who Tells It As It Is. When I finished speaking to Niels Brabant, he said something to me to the effect of, I hope you can use some of that. What I'm about to play you is a powerful chat because it is brutally honest. It's a story of how Niels made a lot of mistakes when he started out as a speaker, and he's hoping that whatever stage we're at in the speaking ladder, that by telling these stories will help to prevent us from making the same mistakes. Now, this is an industry that Niels tells us is much harder than the one that is often portrayed by the many search engine-friendly, clickbaity articles out there on the internet about public speaking. But it's still one that if it's approached right, should be possible for people to do. I played this interview to someone who has no interest in speaking or the industry, and she was absolutely hooked to what Neil said, so I know you are going to find this really interesting. And I didn't really have to ask a first question to Niels when I sat down with him. He just wanted to get something off his chest. And so really, the way this interview starts is I just opened the microphone. We had a global pandemic, certain people lost their jobs, and I see that more and more people getting lured into an industry to become a trainer, speaker, coach. And the problem is with, with coaching, people feel that they need a bit more of substance. So they're a bit afraid to do that in a one-to-one setting. Training, they realize, filling maybe two or three days of workshop of eight hours a day can be quite challenging. So this speaking option, being on a stage, getting paid an absurd amount of money, what people often claim they earn, most of it is lies. And you stand on a stage, no one's questioning what you say, and you have to deliver something in between 15 to 45 minutes. It's, it just sounds tempting because anyone thinks, I could do that. So they get into these workshops, which are normally in a, in a huge classroom setting. And there's always the next upsell, next upsell, getting into smaller, smaller, smaller groups, ending up with the 10,000 pound per month mastermind group. And even after a month of spending the money, people realized they didn't achieve anything. And I, 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 I speak from my own experience. When I started- I was going to say, where is this coming from? Because you, you yeah. clearly seen this stuff. So what is driving inside you? Yeah, so when I became a member of a certain association, they told me you should take into consideration going here. And these recommendations were not saying you should take into consideration. Basically, they were saying, you have to book these coaches and go there or you will not make it in this industry. And I went to events, which I, from today's point of view, I would, I, I call them singing, dancing, clapping, motivational events. First one was, I think, 800 people in the room and motivational, very, very pleasant. You felt great afterwards because it was, it basically told you, you could be the next rock star and they're all waiting for you, for your message to be heard. And you thought that people who are experienced in the industry, when they tell you, you have a great message, great talent. This is how it goes. And then they sell you to the next class, which went, so we went, went down from 900 to 400. The third level was still, I think, 80 people. The fourth level was a two-day course with 20 people. I lost a significant five-digit amount of money with this straightforwardly say nonsense. 
And I see it getting worse and worse. People first at the moment lose their jobs. When they were lucky, they got a bit of money from their corporation or where they worked to go through the next month. And then they spent money thinking they become professional speakers when it is quite obvious that they won't or that approach will not work on the market. So take us a little bit back into your background here, because this is obviously a journey that you went through. So was this just as you were starting out as a speaker? And you no no and no, tell us I, well tell us how you kind of ended up in that yeah so I come from a completely different background my family is a family which has a long-standing tradition where people work for the state in Germany as you can hear by this charming accent I, I am <laughs> I, I am northern German so I am reasonably straightforward as well as you could probably have figured out right by 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 now so. When you have a long-standing family tradition of working for the state, many of them were teachers, and my sister's a teacher as well. And especially in Germany, being a teacher is well-paid. It is an extremely safe job. It's a lifelong assignment. So you have a safe income for a very long time. And you even have an amazing pension plan where you get three quarters of your former income, no questions asked, and can still work on the side if you want to. So it sounded very tempting. So I studied English and history to become a teacher. I liked the teaching. However, when I got into t- when I got in touch with how it is to work with the state, how slow everything was, how not focused on outcomes but valuing process over results, where you suddenly have to say, "Oh, in this part of the state, I have to package it that way because there's more for Labour government," and in this part of the state, you have to go more the conservative route. I simply realized this is not the way I want to work in the future. And during my studies, I worked for a pharmaceutical company. I, I work as an office assistant and we were organizing events where doctors got trained professionally. It was also one of the first, I mean, you, you probably know the company GlaxoSmithKline, very well known in the UK. So as I'm not a doctor, of course, I had no contact with medication or anything because I don't have the qualification for that. But we organized events. I was very vocal about not being happy what I'm doing at university. And my boss simply said, look, there's an opportunity here. If you want to take it, take it. So what I did was I took it and I was amazed by how I sat in a meeting, had an idea, and one week later, the idea existed in practice. So it was exactly what I wanted to do, having ideas and actually bring them, get the horsepower on the road, as we say in German, but we say it's slightly different. Yeah, so no, I can understand what, exactly what you meant. It's actually seeing things happen. Yeah, exactly. The, how did that lead you then to end up getting into speaking and then coming back to your your original comments about the way things have gone. So what was the journey there? So I tried to get more efficient. I mean, that's what Germans do, right? Always trying to get more efficient. (laughs) Talk about stereotyping. Yeah, we could have been a bit more efficient when we played against England and football. (laughs) So I did did Microsoft training courses and and I did them because my employer didn't pay for it, which I could understand because I wanted to have a trainer qualification for IT as well. They said, that's not your job here, so I don't hold it against them. So I did the Microsoft courses and I took my paid vacation, which I have in Germany, to do these courses, paid it by myself. And at the end, there are quite challenging exams. And I decided to do all the exams on one day where the location said, no one does them all on one day because then you sit in the test center from 8 in the morning till 7 p.m. in the evening. And I said, look, I have a limited amount of paid vacation. I have to do them on one day. So I did them all on one day. And when I left the last exam and I passed all, I think, seven exams it was on one day, there was a guy standing in front of the door who said, hey, my name is, Mm -hmm. I'm the owner of this location. 
I saw you in the Skype view, something special about you, and we're looking for trainers in the Microsoft space. So because he saw someone is dedicated doing that with his paid vacation and then doing all the exams on one day, it was an American trading company, New Horizons Computer Learning Centers. And I quickly realized there that IT operations knowledge is important. Then I moved into IT management and then I moved into sustainable leadership, what I do today, because no matter how great your IT is, when you can't manage it, it has no value. And when your IT department is led horribly, you won't get anything done because with bad leadership, there will be no results whatsoever. That pretty much was my journey. And also they gave me a lot of opportunities. It was a very American company, which means you work a lot. It was all based on results. On the other hand, when you delivered the results, I became the training and implementation manager for 15 locations, which means training, operations, sales, getting the revenue and the profit and everything at, at my beginning 20s. No German company would give their job to you. They would so you gave a staggering amount of experience and knowledge in that early stage. Yes, about but the American work. notion is that it's about results. When you bring in the results, we don't care about your age. They gave me the opportunity. I took it, but then I realized, because even that already was self-employment, you, you basically get paid by the day by them. This is a very American system with a high risk on, on, on your side, but it's well paid when you perform. Right. And then I went into self-employment from there. And speaking started because one of my friends is running a software company for, um, for HR people and, and leaders who run business, how to recruit people more efficiently. And he simply asked if I could do a talk during an expo, which he booked a booth with like 10 seats there. He said, could you give a talk about leadership and re recruitment? Uh, because we need like four speakers. Could you do it? And I said, I don't know, I can try. And, and I did, and feedback was, you should do that more often. And then it happened from there. So I never had the goal where I sat down and said, and that's what many people do right now. And I don't know a single person going down the route like this. No person who is successful, sustainably successful, which means not a hype, not one year successful, but 10 years plus successful. Not a single person sat down and pulled out of thin air, oh, I want to be a speaker. Let's just do speaking only. I know that in the US, there is still a speaking only industry and a bit in the UK. But let's face it, when you do speeches only, no workshops, no coachings, most, most organizations will not be interested in working with you because... Many people want to say, hey, give us the keynote, then deliver a workshop to tell us more in detail what we should do, and then do one-to-one -one coaching afterwards with the leaders of the marketing department, the purchasing, um, the sales department, et cetera, et cetera. So when you only want to have that one chunk, you should wonder how big your ego is and how you think how important you can take yourself. And when you think you just get on the market and get paid 10,000 pounds a speech, that is not going to happen. So tell us about how, how that developed then. So you obviously had been doing lots of workshops. You set up your own business. Yeah. You then started doing these talks. And how did that work together at the beginning then? Was talking part of marketing of your business? I mean, what, what was happening? I never used talking as part of marketing because I refused to speak for free. And I recommend anyone to turn down any game. When, when people tell you, oh, we have this meeting, you can put your business card down there, but speak for free. There's one rule which one uh, very experienced sales speaker told me at a very early stage. She said, when the organizer doesn't have any money, the same applies to the audience. And that is, in my opinion, exactly how the industry works. When they, when they value what you do, they pay you a reasonable amount of money. And there are different levels. So when you are beginning, you probably speak for 
a bit less than a grand, which is not enough to make any living because you would need to do hundreds of days per year to make ends meet. Normally, when you when you speak frequently, you are in the area somewhere in between three to five grand. When you're well known, maybe a bit higher than between five to six, seven grand. Getting higher means normally you must have a very well-known name, be a celebrity or whatever else. And especially when you when you think that talk is the only thing you do. So people think you arrive, you do your keynote, which is exactly the same you do for every single time. And then you just move on with, with, with a huge load of money. That market pretty much doesn't exist anymore. It, it existed during the peak of the motivational, inspirational chumble one, which never had any, which never had any significant substance. It was entertaining. But organizations since 2000, and one of the most significant changes in the UK, let, let's go for the UK market. Look at the amount of after-dinner speakers you have. In Germany, we don't even have after-dinner speakers because we have no humor. So the concept just doesn't work, right? So when someone is funny, we're just like, mm, it's more efficient to go home now. But I think it's, <laughs> and I, I, I'm not even making this up. The, the after-dinner slot does not exist in the German-speaking market. After dinner, we either go home or get drunk. Normally, in in, in order of getting drunk and then go yes. With pretty good glasses full of beer. I, I've been yeah, to Germany. Yeah, I, um, the 2008 crisis, cut the, when you were an after-dinner speaker, and it was quite yeah. easy to charge five, when you were a, let's say, you were a senior barrister, you know the industry, you know the events and the law and, and city of London world, you got five grand, six grand for one good after-dinner speech, which you, which you could repeat all over the different events. And after 2008, that slot was simply cut out. And it was replaced by, we asked someone we know who does it for free because sure. organizations didn't pay that amount of money anymore for someone just having a funny moment. I'm, ju I'm just interested in how you saw this all change. You know, you, you were talking about how you started your own business. Yeah. You started to give talks and these were paid talks from the start. So how did that fit in? Where did the journey go from there? Well, I started to give paid talks with having no clue how much to charge. So I said, so this is what I charge for a training day. So a speech is just like one tenth of a training day. So I charge one, which is of course a completely wrong approach to do anything. And you quickly realized you did, you have way too much effort, way too little payment. So you do market research and realize there are speaking groups. And I know that there are associations and groups, different speaking associations and terrorist models, et cetera. And in, in my opinion, they are not going to get you anywhere. And I met great people there. I made great friends there. However, in my opinion, one of the main issues of these associations slash groups is that as, as one Harvard Business Review author wrote, I just f forgot the name. He used one headline, which, which was called substance takes a backseat. And that is really true. You have an astonishing amount of mediocre speakers who want to tell their story, give you a motivational, inspirational talk. And let's face it, when culturally that is something which, which meets your needs and gives you a nice moment, fair enough. But business is not ran on motivation, inspirational feeling, right? It's, it's, it's ran on getting deals done calculating uh, revenue, getting out proposals, getting the highest amount of profit out of it, optimizing it for taxation, et cetera. And nothing of that pretty much happens in these groups. And um, especially when you go to Toastmasters, which can give you a good start in the very, very beginning. Um, but I know two Toastmasters world champions who are both struggling financially for not being booked. So that tells you where the issue is. 
These very funny. How you learned all this stuff, though, because you know you've clearly got so much experience. And what those moments were, where you learned it. So you were investigating these different groups. You presumably yeah. joined a bunch of them, and then you started to observe what was happening. But you clearly had a vision in your head at that point of where you wanted to go with it. And these weren't delivering on that. Is that right? Um, ish. Uh, I I joined these groups with a with a very too idealistic view of they are they are huge, so they will be good and. Uh, looking at it, looking back at it, I wasted way too much money and too much time on these groups. I, I met great people. I, I, I found a great mentor there, and, and and I can recommend a couple of people here here on the podcast later, which, in my opinion, are, are really doing well. But uh, at the end, you have to see what is the what is the benefit for the customer you are serving. And I talk about sustainable leadership. Having a speech is good to address issues, but after that, you have to get results into the organization, which means you have to do workshops, you have to do coaching, you have to do probably consulting or mentoring, project or interim management. And many people don't want to do that. Many people say, I only want to be a speaker. I want to have these 45 minutes a day for 10,000 pounds. And that is a myth. It is a how, how did you learn this though? What, what was the kind the of hard way? The hard way. That, that way I get that, but, but what was it that you were seeing? that you learned this from? Well, I saw that- Was people talking to you? Was this businesses sort of saying, no, we don't need that? How, how did you learn that stuff? I realized that people who are doing very well were never in the center of attention and ego seeking during these events. They were sitting somewhere in the back doing what they're good at and not even talking about their business because discretion is especially when you are on a senior level, one of the most important aspects of your business. As soon as you see someone and you think it's like, oh, a worldwide known motivational speaker, blah, blah, blah. Let's just think, okay, Richard, let's just say I hired you as a journalist to handle my massive PR crisis because we had a massive scandal in my organization. Do you think I would appreciate when you take a selfie from the stage and say, hey, today I'm speaking at this event, talking about the massive crisis this organization has? But of course not. But when you look at the amount of empty rooms posted, selfies from stage, it tells you mm. these people have very either unpaid or low paid or irrelevant business, which is just a nice moment. And also you have to see that often the advice given to people is without seeing people's own privileges. It, it, yes. these, these pieces of advice just do not work. So how did you, how did you respond to this? You saw the people who were successful sitting at the back of the room, not saying anything. Yeah. And you obviously thought to yourself, they know something that I need to know. Yeah. So how did you approach that then? So I did what is a very well-known concept in the UK. It is called going for drinks with them. <laughs> so what happened? What did Niels find out when he sat down for a drink with those people? We'll find out in a moment. Plus, Niels goes on to explain how the industry is changing and how a single speech on its own is not a speaking career anymore. There is so much more to come in that interview with Niels, but uh, we're halfway through. And it's that time of the episode where I share some of the things that I've been spotting as I've been digging into the public speaking industry this week. And by the way, if you would like to be a future guest on this show, head to the website at publicspeakerworld.com. That's publicspeakerworld.com. And click on the link that you will see there in the top right in the menu for the guest link. All the details about how to be a guest on this show are in there. So firstly, having a look at some of the trends that I've been spotting, I was reading an article, actually, this goes back a, a few years, but it's a really good point. I was reading an article in the Los Angeles Business Journal about a speaker agency called Harry Walker Agency. They represent Barack Obama, film stars and more. So they're not a small agency. 
And the article was talking about how they got started, which was really quite interesting because they started off by convincing organisations who were used to having their own internal speakers that external speakers could bring a much wider global knowledge to the audience. Now, that might sound logical, but the point they were making was by getting external speakers, they could bring in ideas that this organisation had never heard of before. They could bring in ideas from around the world. The irony at the time was they also had to convince experts who knew stuff to actually go and speak as well. But the lesson I got from reading this was that once again, people pay for experts to talk in a topic, not for people who just want to speak. Secondly, authenticity. How do you do it when you're speaking? I had a great discussion on LinkedIn the other day with Peter Botting, who is an amazing and highly experienced speaker coach, after I commented about techniques that I use with people trying podcasting for the first time and gaining that authenticity to their voice. And the gist was that anyone can tell when you are not being authentic. We all can. Just the process of reading a script, though, can drain that authenticity out of you when you're speaking. This is a particular problem, as we know now with Zoom, because people can increasingly just read a script off the screen without anyone knowing, or, or it's almost become conventional to look down, hasn't it? Rather than make eye contact with people. So how do you overcome this problem? How do you avoid sounding inauthentic? Well, that was what we actually disagreed on. And I'm really delighted because after that conversation, Peter is going to join us for a future episode of this show so we can try and thrash that out. That should be a really interesting episode. And finally, a short article I spotted from CNBC from the speech trainer John Bow. He pointed out that in speeches you should avoid using words which show hesitancy. So not just the ers and ums, but phrases such as kind of, or sort of, or just. The point was that while these particular phrases may not jump out at you like a big long er, they still create an underlying sense that the person speaking doesn't really know what they're talking about. Those are three items from this week. More next week as well. It is time to get back to Niels now, as he was about to tell us what happened when he went for drinks with the people who seemed to know their stuff at the back of the room. In the next few minutes, Niels will also be telling us about how to increase our value when we're giving speeches and how to ensure people believe the skills that you claim to have too. So I did what is a very well-known concept in the UK. It is called going for drinks with them. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. I think you maybe call it networking. Yeah, networking. Sorry. Yes. Networking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So from what I did yeah. was when we had the informal part, I approached them and said, hey, looks interesting what you're doing. I, I see it's very low key, but it's, it's very successful. And they very quickly tell you, I can help you. That's the price tag. Get back to me when you're ready to, 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 to pay for it. They don't have an email funnel. They don't have a free webinar. They don't have any of that, surprisingly. And getting Alan Stevens as a mentor in the UK probably was one of the best decisions I made. So when I had my office at Canary Wharf, or when I started out, I had my office at the One Kennel Square Tower in Canary Wharf. And the coaching with him really showed me how, how to do business internationally. Because I moved from Germany to the UK in 2014. And let's face it, that's also another aspect people have to see. Let's just see reality. Niels Proban moving from Germany to London. No one needs a German guy moving to the UK telling British people how to run their businesses. There's a zero need for that. So what is the value you can add? You see certain weaknesses in organizations and then you try to fix these weaknesses. So in the UK, for example, non-diversity, a pretty classist society, a lot of cronyism, nepotism going on. You can address issues for getting more productivity, which means 
higher employee motivation, lower employee turnover. And by that, you not only save money for recruiting because you have a better employer brand, you get higher productivity, which directly leads to more profit. And when I say more profit, organizations listen to you. And that was my angle of what I added. And, but when you have a good angle and then you say, oh, I do speaking only, it's, there aren't that many spots during these events. And after COVID-19, there won't be more events, I assume, but less, or they will be way smaller. So it sounds like the key thing you worked out, though, was this, this whole point about the value, wasn't it? And this is what yeah. you've been talking about. You've been saying that there's a lot of people who are just sort of waffling away. But when you're actually saying, look, I can come and talk. This is how much it will cost, but I will deliver you this value. I will change this, sort this out, teach you about this or whatever. So in effect, you charge me 10, you'll get 20. Sorry, you pay me 10, you'll get 20 back. It's as yeah. simple as that. And if you're not going to offer them 20 back, if you're going to offer them less than 10, why should they book you? Yeah. And all, uh, I mean, when, you, when you're talking about value, this job, when you are doing well in the market, is a very well-paid job. But it's only well, it's only well paid due to the benefit you give. Do you honestly think someone is going to pay you £5,000 for a trading day when they don't assume that they get £50,000 of value out of it? And when you get paid £600 a day, it gives you very straightforward feedback of how valuable they think your services are. Of course, there are different aspects like race, gender, sexual orientation, which, which plays into it. And un- unfortunately, the discrimination, especially against women and minorities, is still very strong in society, uh, which also has to be considered. Still, when you, when you look at getting a mentor, always check what have they done before. And the people you do not meet are the people who say, oh, I became self-employed and then I became a speaker coach. That's not how it works. When someone, and that is something which a good friend of mine who lived in Kensington nearly, nearly as, as my neighbor, he's a former barrister, and he said, you can spot bad lawyers and bad barristers because they sell courses to other lawyers and other barristers. So how to spot bad speakers, but they sell courses, other trainers and speakers. When you are in the industry, let's say for 20, 25 years or longer, then it's okay to give back because you have a long-standing track record with real-world clients and now you can give back. But often you have people entering the market, they see they don't get booked, so they reposition themselves as experts for training, speaking, coaching and only selling within the industry because that is so much easier. Mm -hmm. And every year, Tens of thousands of people join the industry, many of them trying to get one of these courses because they think it's a good starting point and they don't go anywhere. And then you just coach the next one who's not going to make it anywhere else. Yeah. So you're selling the dream, isn't it? I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about the dream because you obviously enjoy it, right? You've put a tremendous amount of work into it and you've learned how to identify how to give genuine value, which is clearly what lets you stand out. It's called science. It's for scientific background. When you look on my LinkedIn, you see my scientific qualification. And because when you try to give value and you want to base it on your, on your personal story, that's what Frank Caspides from Harvard Business School always called N equals one evidence. So I did that. So it works for you. That is, of course, utter nonsense. Organizations will challenge what you suggest, especially when it, when it leads to a dramatic change for them. So when you say, well, it's my personal opinion, yeah, good luck with that. When you say this is the scientific background proving that you have to do it, they will do it. Uh, But I'm going to get inside your head though, because what is it that you enjoy about that? Why does it make you want to do so much more of it? 
I enjoy when people have a certain challenge and they're looking for someone to overcoming this challenge. That's what I like. But I like to do it based on substance, not based on motivational, inspirational one line. But, but what I mean is, is why does that work for you personally? Is it because it's like a problem that you see that you feel I can solve it? Or is it because you like the challenge of the problem? Why, why does it touch you emotionally that makes you want to speak about this? Well, I suffered from bad leadership during different jobs. So especially when I worked at university and uh, also when I worked in the corporate world, I, 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 I left certain jobs, uh, especially when I was a student, I left jobs for better payment somewhere else and got back to the worst paid job because there were better leaders there. I didn't see it back then. I only perceived this is fun to work here and it's awful to work there, but I didn't realize why. So I realized that no matter what you do, when you want to run a business, you can't run a business without great leadership because you will simply suffer from all the profit you have. You have to put either into recruiting or marketing or employer branding to balance out everything you've done wrong. And also you put real harm on people. Just this so week, it, feels, I, it feels like that, that it was the frustration of the experience yourself. You then went off and studied it. I mean, you learned it from your own experiences as well. But it, it, that's really what's driving it today is when people go, look, we've got this problem. Actually, it's that frustration that caused you to learn that now you can help them solve that problem. Yeah, probably. And also, it's not only that you that you create problems, you really put harm on people. I mean, let, let's face it. When I face a stressful situation at work and I go home, my life choice was to be single. So I, I at least can unwind when I'm at home. But let's face it, you have a horrible job. You have a horrible leader there. So it's total stress during work. Then you come home adding the stress onto your family. This can have significant impact on people's lives, what you do. So sustainable leadership is more about it's a problem for your organization. Yes, it is. And it costs you money, et cetera, all that. But you are, you are putting psychological issues and psychological problems on other people, which might have a lifelong impact on others, which is simply immoral, unethical, and just plain wrong. Yeah. So you don't want other people to go through what you've experienced and seen, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, when you look at where the market is developing, many people think that leadership should get better because more people have access to science. Unfortunately, when you see where it is going, there's more and more need for helping people to become better leaders because the misbehaviors by especially senior leaders, team leads, et cetera, de department leaders get, get, get worse every year. Look at the, look at the burnout quota we have. Look at the amount of people who consider their mental health as very good or excellent. It's now one quarter of society with females and one third of what male human beings. So two thirds to three quarters say, my mental health is not good or excellent. And when you ask them why, normally one of the first reasons is work. So yes. Yeah. We have to how, change that. It, it, that's quite interesting because how do you then go and pitch that? Because I'm guessing here, but with management, I imagine they want you to go in there, give them a few tips and basically tell them that they're doing most things right and they just need to tweak it a bit. Was you kind of coming at this kind of going, well, you know what? There's an awful lot of people who are finding that it's far deeper than that. Your employees are finding it followers. So how are you able to pitch that to them without frankly scaring them off? Yeah. So first I have one advantage. People here, I have a German accent. So when I, so when I'm rude, I get away with it. <laughs> I can actually see people when, when you can speak and they think, 
It's reasonably straightforward. They hesitate and then they think that's just how he is. It's not his fault. It's just like one of the few advantages of being German is being rude and get away with it. No. So seriously talking, you have to give them the right angle. So when you tell them you do it all wrong, you have to change that they, they won't listen to you. What they are looking for is how to make more money out of the same situation they have. So when you tell them, look, better leadership leads to higher motivation and that leads to, so that, that already is higher productivity and lower employee turnover, that immediately saves you costs for recruiting and, and, and employer branding. In addition, higher motivation and less employee turnover leads to a higher productivity, which again adds to the bottom line, higher profit, and you make more money with the same people. The only thing you have to change is your behavior. And as soon as you tell them, change your behavior to make more money, people are suddenly very open because often their bonus is depending on the profit they make with the organization. So. Although many people claim you have to tell them uh, people first and focus on the human being, that's, that's correct. However, this is not how you're going to sell it, especially in the corporate world. They are looking for real, when they say we are looking for results, they mean we're looking for money. We actually don't, we actually want to change as little as possible with the highest amount of profit being generated out of it. And leadership is, is a pivot where you can generate a lot of money in high commerce only by changing your behavior, your communication and conflict style, your negotiation technique, and the organization of how you set up the whole business. So sustainable leadership is the key to make more money. What's the greatest moment you've ever had speaking? And I don't mean in terms of how much you got paid or anything like that. I mean, for you. The greatest moment for me was, and that came completely out, out of the blue. I gave a speech in Cologne at an expo and a woman came to me who, who saw me the year before at the same expo and taught me the impact, not only of my speech, because the speech was only the starting point. We had a speaking, then we had workshops at her employer, and then we coached the leaders of her organization. And she only came to say how her life changed from being completely stressed out to really enjoying her job every single day, only due to the change, which was delivered throughout keynote, so speaking, training, coaching. And that's why the, why she came to my speech. This is really how you felt to that moment when she, did she walk up to you and say, yes. Hi, yes. Niels, I've got to tell you, was it that? Yeah. I, I, I walked off stage and she said, do you have a moment? I said, yeah, of course. And then she, yeah, you're thinking to yourself, oh gosh, what have I said? Well, yeah. dear. Yeah. So often when you hear Getting nice feedback after a speech or training or coaching is nice. But when you hear a year later or two years later or five years later, so I just give, give you an, an example. I just put uh, one of the additional qualifications I, I successfully passed on LinkedIn. And for whatever reason, LinkedIn then sends out notifications. I think so people find an option to pitch to you. Like, mute one, just finish this. Say congrats, which means you get bombarded by sales pitches if you want or not. And one guy texted me and said, hey, I was at your speech in Hamburg and that corporation. And after that, our team was way better than before. That was in 2008. So I received this message in 2021. So you realize that when you do your job well, you have a long-term impact on people's lives. And that's what, although that's also something I want to add. People often say, oh, as, as a speaker, you will need the will to, ch to change the world. And then often they say the phrase, we would do this job if it would be a lot less payment. And quite frankly, no. When you run a business, and that is very important to see, 
when you run a business as a speaker, and I know that many people are now looking at getting into training, speaking, coaching, when you don't get the numbers together, you will fail. When I look at my competitor situation, the global pandemic wiped off two thirds of my competitors off the map, which is good for me. But these were the people who said, oh, I'm not in for the money, et cetera, et cetera. You need to have savings for crisis, economical crisis, global pandemic, because there, there will be times, and I just, just give you uh, one moment which had nothing to do with an economical crisis. A couple of years ago, I think it was five, six years ago, they had a massive scandal in the US that the government overpaid, overspent on their own meetings. And suddenly the whole meeting industry was in the magnifying glass of every single news outlet. And of course, they found out that everyone overspent on their meetings massively, drinks, parties, whatever else. So every single company canceled their meeting to put it through compliance, which means suddenly you have a situation where they say there won't be any events for the next six months, which means zero pound income yeah. for you. And when you then say, speaking only, I don't do training, I don't do coaching, I just wish you all the best of luck getting through these situations. I am single. It's easy for me to get through that I don't have a, have a show-off lifestyle. But when you have a family to feed, Brits are obsessed with owning houses, so you have a mortgage to pay for in London roughly 120 years. So it's... Thanks, um, it, really. Yeah, right. short. short. <laughs> Well, let's talk about disasters, though, as well. And everyone I've spoken to have asked about this because it's quite interesting to see what they perceive as that toughest moment in their speaking career. And some people have said, well, they were delivering a talk and they realized the audience just hated it. Some people have had negative feedback at the end of the talk and it left them feeling pretty bad. I mean, what's been your sort of worst moment? What did you, what did you learn from that moment and how did you come out of it? My worst moment was a speech I gave in Berlin for an audience, which I considered an easy audience, reasonably unexperienced, reasonably mid-level uh, mid leaders with pretty much no career in their future. So one of these things where you show up and you say, I'm just going to rock this because I have the experience. So sure. you don't put the, and, and that was in 2006, seven, maybe somewhere there. You don't put the effort in, you should have put it. And you are on stage, you know there are 60 minutes, and in minute 10, you realize it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and, and, and you know, 50 minutes ahead, and everything you do here is not going to work. And what and were those signs? Why did you know it wasn't going to work? At first, you realize people have a, certain, have a certain either interesting or not interested look in what you do. They interact or they don't. They take notes or they don't. And when they just lay back and say, whatever that guy says, just... Wait, wait for the next speaker. This is, you know, just pointless. So, and these 50 minutes, not only are 50 minutes really long when you realize it's not working what you do, but the worst moment actually is, and that is something which is, it has a cathartic effect on you afterwards. But let's face it, it's, it is arrogance. You think you, are, you have the experience. You think you can do it easy. You just try to wing it and never wing it. Never put every, every speech coming up must be the best one you ever delivered. Because and that clearly way. sticks in your mind all the time, that one. Well, I think it is good that it is in my mind because it keeps yeah. you on the back of your feet to say every single speech, even when you work with a client for 10 years and you spoke at their events for 40 times, 
you still look, uh, how did the structure change? Who are the new people in the job? Is there a new strategy? What is mission, vision, value statement? What is the product range? What is the market approach? Market share change? How is the economy doing? Which market did they enter? Which market yeah. did they eat? Because otherwise, you suddenly will be on stage and saying, look, the Spanish market, and someone will shout, we left Spain. And you're like, okay, so my next five slides might be a bit awkward right now. Hey. <laughs> So you realize that a lack of preparation, I mean, maybe you heard of the rule of the of five, six, seven piece, depending on which words you want to use. Uh, prior preparation prevents poor performance. You can add this poor performance if you want to. performance. Um, so when you have these motivational speakers doing their speech for the 127th time, you realize that they've done that before because you see what they do is not tailored to the audience. Also, is disrespectful to the audience? And also you really are wasting people's time. And the most valuable thing you can get from people today is their time. And when you approach this, I'm going to tell them something, which I told a hundred people before, yeah. you shouldn't be in this industry. Yeah. Tell us one bit of advice you've been given throughout your speaking career that has had a big impact. Base everything on, on facts. Science wins, facts rule. Put in the effort. It's a lot of effort you have to do it. You have to do it over and over again. But sustainably being successful only works when you keep your material updated. So I just give you a couple of examples. And um, I, I also have an interview on my YouTube channel with Dr. Linda Shaw, who is a neuroscientist about a couple of things I'm going to mention now. You still have people who tell you there is left brain and there is right brain. And one side is for the logical, what, wrong scientifically outdated. You have people who tell you, oh, we have the BAK model, visual, audio, kinesthetic, and you're only one of the fleet. Outdated. There were moments where science had the, the level where they said, this is how it works. But when they do additional research and they come to a different conclusion, you have to update your material. Also, when you refer to different aspects, when, when I hear people talking about, you know, when I watched the Chuckle Brothers, I had to Google who these people are. I'm, I didn't have an idea who the Chuckle Brothers were, but it's, it's because I'm surprised that the international audience of the Chuckle Bears are not known to any other European country except the UK. We know. <laughs> That's <I> know. <laughs> so it, even when you come along with Monty Python, the younger generation yeah. doesn't know Monty Python that well anymore. So, but people keep on sticking to talking, 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 talking about the same old. I remember when I listened to a speech in London where one guy uh, told me about how he had to buy a jacket and the whole, it, it, it was some sort of story about how this jacket was his first income, et cetera. But he was talking about shilling. So I had to take my mobile owner to figure out what shillings yeah. are and it just takes away my attention. So stop delivering your outdated material. The best piece of advice is science wins, facts rule, keep your material updated. Sometimes you have really great talks and things that go really well, but you have to stop doing them because they are simply outdated. No matter how well they work, stop doing that. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the things I find in the world of podcasting is that the perfect system, they've got one person, a million listeners, doesn't mean it's going to work for anyone else on earth. Yeah. And work for them in their exact situation at their exact time. That's it. Yes. Just and finally, also, just tell us. Sorry. Sorry. One thing I have to add with the advice, well, one thing I have to add, when people are listening to this right now and think they get into this industry, some people might now think they want to get into this industry. And then there's always one phrase, which I frequently hear, I'm excellent at, and then you enter whatever topic you, you just fill in your 
I'm excellent at blank and blank is your topic. And then the next phase is, but I'm really bad at marketing and sales. Okay, here, here's the advice. When, you, when it comes to marketing and sales, either you pay someone to do it, which especially in the beginning you often can't afford to do, or second, you learn how to do marketing and sales. I was not a salesperson. I learned it from the American companies I worked for and the UK companies I worked for. So it is possible to learn it. Because when you don't pay someone and you don't learn it, option number three comes in, which is fail. So pay someone, learn it or fail. And that is really important. No matter how great you are, nothing sells by itself or with an automated funnel, passive income, blah, blah. You know all this advertising out there during these YouTube advertising breaks. Nothing of that works. So learn how to properly market and sell yourself. You don't have to do absolutely everything. When, when you say you're not a good writer, don't start a blog. When you're better in talking, do a podcast. Just do stuff that your material is out there and people actually get your attention. I have a newsletter, which I call Expert Excellence, which goes on every week. I have a podcast with an interview and an episode with me every week. And I also have a leadership magazine, which I started a couple of years ago. But also, and as you, I mean, English is not my first language. I, I need to learn how to write articles because when you write German articles and translate them, journalists will tell you it's factually, it, it, it's, from a grammar point of view, it's correct, but no one enjoys to read this article because German articles are very happy, very fact-based, and you have a much more informal approach when you have American or, or, or British audiences to, to, to serve and learn that because otherwise... Keep learning. That's the message, isn't it? Keep learning, keep adapting. And no one is going learning. to sell you. No one is going to sell you. Don't think that yeah. anyone is going to sell you because you are good at what you're doing. A quick reminder, don't forget, I'll be summing up all of Neil's main points at the end of the show in a few moments' time. Neil, there's, there's so much we could talk for absolutely hours. We'll put all your links in the show notes as well, but just tell us a little bit about what you offer as a speaker and just give us one place that people can contact you. Yeah, so I offer sustainable leadership, which means training, speaking, coaching, mentoring, consulting, project management. You can get in touch with me. Best way is uh, by our email, nb at nb-networks.com, and then we can talk from there. Super. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. So let's run through some of the key points that I got from that chat with Niels. I think you'll agree that it was really quite eye-opening. He was very, very honest about things. And for me personally, I found that I learned a lot from him. So let's have a look at some of the points that I got from that and uh, see if you agree with me as well. Firstly, let's talk about his brand. It's interesting. Niels described himself as a sustainable leadership person, which means training, speaking, coaching, mentoring, consulting, project management. But the brand that came across to me was of a no-nonsense, honest person who would tell you as it is. Now, I got a job in political communications a few years ago because I basically ripped apart a press release right in front of the person that had written it, and so much so that I was actually offered a job on the spot. So that authenticity, whether you agree with Niels or whether you agree with me, is still clearly something that works, that having an opinion, sticking with it, and being passionate about it as well. 
Let's look at the other points that I took from that chat. There are too many people selling a dream of public speaking and too many people willing to buy into that fantasy. This was a really strong message I got from this. Speaking is not an easy route to riches, he said. Whatever anyone tells you, if you want to find the people who really know how it works, find the people at the back of the room who are sitting there quietly. When you approach them, he said, they'll give their price and say, come back when you're ready. What else did I get down here? You must have substance to what you say. Where are the facts? Next one. If the organiser of an event doesn't have any money to pay you, then the audience also doesn't have any money. In other words, if you want to reach serious people, then you need to be speaking in events where event organisers have attracted people prepared to pay for real quality information. Interesting one about how much to charge. When you start, he said, expect to be paid no more than a grand. Now, he was talking in terms of euros and British pounds, so you can convert that into US dollars if you want to or any other currency. When you speak frequently, expect five to seven grand, he said. If you become a celebrity, you can charge much, much more, of course. He also agreed with other speakers that I've talked to. You can't just deliver the same speech at multiple venues anymore. People expect a talk specific for their event. And of course, now with more and more recordings, people know when you've given a speech before. He also made the point, just like the other speakers again, is that it's not good enough to just deliver a speech anymore now. You also need to do consulting. You need to do workshops with clients' teams. It's now about the full package. You're coming in not as a speaker, but as an expert delivering that knowledge in a variety of different ways. How do you sell a talk where you're basically telling managers that they're doing it wrong? That was a question that struck me when I asked him about that one, because how would you do that? How do you convince them? He said the way to do it is to talk about their bottom line with business. He said if you tell them how to do something and you can improve their bottom line, that's what's going to grab their attention. They don't want to hear that they're doing something wrong, of course. The speaking world is changing rapidly. Be ready for the next crisis, Neil said. Whether it's a pandemic or changes in clients or general business practices, always prepare even for easy speeches. The moment you stop preparing is the moment you open yourself up for a bad event. So much stuff in there. As always, I'm going to be rounding it up, plus stuff from my other podcast, which is the Public Relations Podcast, and a whole load of other analysis and ideas in my new newsletter, which is just starting now. You can get that completely free. It's at the website, publicspeakerworld.com slash tips. That's publicspeakerworld.com slash tips. Leave your email there and I will send that off to you. Next time on Public Speaker World, I'm going to be sharing with you an interview I did with a speaker who developed a better mousetrap. Yes, literally, he developed a mousetrap. But that's not the reason that I'm talking to him, because he's better known now for his talks on innovation. He operates out of Australia, and he speaks right across the Far East. The point he made to me in our chat, though, this was the really interesting thing, is that speaking is much more now than just giving information. It's about changing people's minds, literally changing their minds. And he's got some ideas on how we can do that. That's next time in episode four, which is called The Speaker Who Experiments. For all the details, check out publicspeakerworld.com.